I'm Sebastian Madrana, and you're listening to The Truth in This Art, hosted by Rob Lee. This is where creativity matters. Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And my next guest is a multidisciplinary artist best known for his minimalistic illustrations examining the human condition and the intricacies of the head and of the heart. He's also the marketing director at Bodega. Please welcome Matt Zaremba. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks for popping on. Um, appreciate you making the time. You know, we're, as I grow, I'm heading further and further north. I don't think I'm going to go to Maine, but I think I definitely have to hit that <laughs> Massachusetts kind of area. And, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, you know, it's a good area. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so before we get like into the conversation, the legit conversation, I, w- I, w- I want to get that kind of introductory, that sort of elevator, like, like pitch of like, what's, what's the Matt story? What's the Maddie Z story? I'm going to call you that a lot. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, what, what's the story in, in it? Could you describe like maybe your first experience with art or design? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. Um, I hope I don't rant too much about it, but, um, I was raised by, you know, pretty free spirits. My late father and my mom, um, we, we grew up in the city, um, but they had this interesting background where they were very much into the outdoors. My dad's nickname was Bear because he was just like a grizzly bear. He's an outdoorsman. Um, my brother and I, Nick, we were, um, we were raised to like, you know, competitive whitewater canoeing, things like that. Um, we spent a lot of the summer in kind of remote places on these long canoe trips and expeditions and stuff. And so we had this like interesting childhood of, you know, my dad played blues music and my mom's a writer and they just like lived creatively, not in like a super hippie way or anything like that. But, um, you know, they just had like a, a fond respect for like the earth and kind of, I don't know, kind of like being a little bit counterculture to things. And so from a young age, like, my brother and I were like really inspired by what we were exposed to. So like my dad, you know, he would put us onto like good films and art from like the sixties, like that, that, that kind of embodied the, 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 what was happening with music and culture at that time when he was really being affected, um, at a form in those formative years. And it kind of like carried over to us. Um, so, I think like our first, like, you know, so that was where we're kind of brought up on. And then everything that we got into was pretty much through like skateboarding. Um, you know, like the first graphics I'll ever remember are, are from like, you know, um, Powell Peralta, things like that, like skateboard graphics. Um, and then skateboarding really exposed us to, you know, like when you're skateboarding and you're growing up in the city, like you're, going to spots to skate that are kind of you know off course or um you know like heavily trafficked so like from there we would see like graffiti so like graffiti was like our first like i guess you'd say like medium that like we really saw and like paid attention to at a very young age Mm -hmm. and like any kid in the city like you start dabbling in things and you know we went through like all these you know kind of like goofy nicknames and tags and total toy stuff but um i just remember like how much of an effect it had on us you know like it was just about skateboarding writing on things and we weren't like bad kids at all so like it wasn't like um you know some like total like we're not going to school and like we're smashing windows or anything like that it was just like these things kind of overlapped and like we're 
really exciting. I think it was like this mystery of like, how, how do you, how do you do that? Like, who does this? When do they do it? Things like that. And yeah. um, as we got older, you know, because I said like my dad was really into music, we just as like a byproduct of being exposed to that and stuff like, and I'm sure like natural talent in some way really got into music, especially me. Um, you know, I started out like playing guitar, but then at a young age was like really influenced by that like nine early nineties golden era of hip hop. So yeah. I started getting into like, um, like, like really like obsessing over like turntable stuff, like turntablism <laughs> and, and like beat production. Cause yeah. I was like, I'll never be like an MC. I already did graffiti to a degree. Um, I couldn't like understand breakdancing. Like it was just wasn't for me physically or something. Um, <laughs> so I had like graffiti, but like still toy at this era. Um, just a kid. And I just remember like at a young age hearing DJ shadow introducing, and I've mentioned this somewhere else before, but like introducing the album, like really flipped my way. Like it was like it, everything just changed at that moment. Cause it was, it was an album that was completely made by sampled bits of music. It was all new music made by Samp, you know, through samples. And to me, it was like, oh, that's really artsy. Like I could get down with that. And so like at a young age, I was getting like Roland Doctor sample and four tracks and things like that and trying to make, you know, like compositions out of samples. And that kind of led to, you know, synthesizers, things like that. So I really got into music. And then I actually did end up becoming like very much into emceeing and started like a local crew here in Boston, which I think still does stuff like 20 something years later. I won't oh, wow. name them cause I just kind of fell out of all that. And, um, but, uh, yeah, like, so music was a really big thing. And I think when I kind of like let that go, especially like hip hop stuff and kind of went back to like roots of like Indian, you know, post-punk and stuff like that, like, writing became a really big part of my life again like it was something i dabbled in when i was younger but i really got into like prose and poetry and stuff like that yeah. um and just kind of like i don't know like uh, um mixed media stuff like collage work everything like, i guess like the point is is that i i have always and my brother especially like we have always been creative in some way like i we talk about this still now like i'm 39 he's 42 or something and we still talk about like, you know, if, if there was no Instagram, if there was no platforms to get your work out there, if, you know, we all lived in like bunkers cause of some catastrophic event or something. Right. Yeah. We would still be doing art. Like we'd still be making art, even if it never saw the light of day. Cause that's just like who we are. We, we like constantly need to create and that might be some sort of, you know, self-preservation <laughs> to combat like other parts of our personalities, et cetera. But, um, yeah, like creativity is everything to me, whether that's professionally or personally. So, um, and then obviously, since those days of kind of diving into different mediums and stuff, certain things stuck. You know, I, I definitely have like I've been doing this illustration project for years now, and um, you know, I still paint, graph when I can, and um, for fun, and I do like collage work and other types of you know painting work, etc. So. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for walking us it's, through it. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a long history, history of different mediums and and uh like reasons for those mediums or like projects, um, I guess to say in a few words. Yeah. I mean, 
as a person, I, I definitely relate to it. Um, where I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was younger and just, you know, having, you know, an uncle I never met, he passed before I was born, but it was kind of like he cast a long shadow mm. and, uh, you know, family members like, Oh, you're going to be just like him. And then kind of nudging me to move in and, and kind of motivating me or, or helping giving me the resources to pursue the art I was interested in. And then, you know, that didn't really work out and pan out. And it, it's not that I lost interest, but it was kind of like confidence was kind of like, you know, wavered a little bit. And then I went into writing and then, you know, I was making beats for a little while and, you know, high school, it was weird. And, uh, and still kind of like doodling, sketching and things of that nature. And then I had a period where I was painting and working on murals. And then I got into doing audio and I, I can trace back almost, I'm 37. So I could trace back 23 years ago, maybe, maybe 22 years ago, that proto podcast, I pull out the freaking recorder like a geek and it's like, no to self, <laughs> you know, or being a, being one of those guys walking around talking in a third person because uh, I thought I was the rock. And uh, <laughs> I would ask people questions, almost like that yearbook sort of thing, the superlatives and things of that nature. Yeah. And that's that was my earliest experience, but it was always me trying to articulate ideas that were in my head, to communicate ideas that were in my head. And it was always a creative bent to it. Yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it. And I, I often think about like, what is the common thread between all these things that I've always been into and respected? And it, it really does come down to like communicating. You know, I don't, um, I think like I, I kind of alluded to before, like there's certain parts of my life where it helps with like the noise, you know what I mean? And, and, and being able to like get a concept down that you might otherwise fumble over and having that you know, focus, you know, like I'm, I'm ADD. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like break down what you're thinking or feeling sometimes is going so rapid fire that mm -hmm. when you find an outlet and for me, which has always been creativity to kind of give yourself a beat and like pause and work through something, um, in like a more constructive or proactive way, it's super, super beneficial. And like I said before, like it's like a form, a form of self-preservation or like um, catharsis, just like work through everything from like positive things like love and like relationships to, you know, challenging things like um, depression and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm in my, I have all of my creative stuff concentrated in the home studio. So I have any of the stuff that I elicit joy from, from a creative standpoint, and there might be a few bodega stickers in here. We'll talk about that. Um, there's also, um, I have Funko Pops in here. I have paintings that I've done. And yeah, you're right. Where I, I'm looking at a painting that I did of my brother and I, and he had a, um, he needed to get a kidney transplant a couple years back. And we weren't sure if he was going to make it. And I did a painting of he and I together, you know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like just, you know, monochromatic, but it's just like me and him together and me kind of always having his back or even uh, just, you know, relationships and things that I'm seeing that, you know, I'm articulating or communicating rather those, those feelings onto canvas, which I haven't painted since, you know, these, these paintings I'm looking at are from six years ago. I haven't painted since. Yeah. And it's just like, that's where I was at. And I can always return to that. Right. That's a, I mean, that's a really great way of saying that. And, um, you know, I love the sentiment of you and your brother. I mean, obviously my brother and I are also super close, but, um, the sentiment of like going back, it's like, I think about that a lot lately. Like I was thinking about that yesterday is I have 
all, you know, all this experience in different mediums, all these interests, like I'm overly interested in things. And I don't know if that's like an ADD thing or what, but I could go into like a craft store or something in the middle of some little farm town in the middle of nowhere and find something that is super, you know, like maybe like corny or cheesy to somebody else, you know? Um, but I'm like, no, you know what? You could, you could use that thing like that stamp kit or something to create this, you know, and you could do something cool with it. And so like, I'm overly interested and overly curious in things. And sometimes I'll sit around and be like, yeah, you know what? Like people really like those paintings, but I haven't done one of those in years. Why aren't I doing that? And, and there is, there's something comforting about like, well, I can just go back at any time and do that. But there's also something kind of frightening, which is time and like time passing. Cause you're like, yeah, but I've, I could go back to that, but I've got all these other ideas. Like on my phone, I literally, and it's the same place where I keep all my illustrations for my kind of daily musings on life is I've got another list that's just all art ideas. And it's, it's like, it's heavy. And these aren't just like, you know, um, like a subject for a painting or something. They're full out like conceptual, um, like pieces and, um, some of them have like extensive, um, I don't know the right word to say, like they're, they're just like extensive ideas. Some of them yeah. multi-layered. And, and so it's like, yeah, I could go back to those paintings or something, but like, I could also tackle this project that I've never touched before and, and, and fail because we all know, like when you touch a product, like when you start something, you're often going to fail over and over mm-hmm. and over. Um, and it's kind of about like sticking with it. Like, do I believe in this idea enough to keep getting up and like keep taking that bruise mm-hmm. into my ego? And, and, and most creatives are the, are the, the worst self critics. I know I am. Um, there's not a day that goes by where I'm like, what am I doing? And it's weird because, <laughs> you know, we're mentioning like, we're talking about accolades before, you know, yeah. we're recording and it's like, yeah, you could be like in a magazine, you could be on TV, you could do like all these awesome things, get awards. Um, and still feel like awful about, yeah. about what you're doing. Cause, because when your mind's going that fast and you do have the ability or like the, the, um, I don't know, like the, uh, you, you have the potential to do so much. Mm-hmm. Um, every human does, but when like you, you know, it and you have the ideas down and stuff and you just haven't brought them to light yet. It's like yeah. everything that's kind of tripping you up kind of, makes you a little bit more hesitant to break that other one out or something. You know what I mean? Like it's, no, it's it, it, it does hit, it does hit the ego and it's, it's more than like a, you know, the, the kind of superficial idea of what ego is. And it's more about like the id or like identity of self. Um, so it's pretty interesting. It, yes. And, and it brings me to this, this question because now I'm just free jazz because that's what we're doing at this point. Um, <laughs> It, it, I, I came to this point when I, w- I was telling you about this, uh, this describing this series of interviews that are outside of home base, right? And I remember talking to someone that I, you know, respect. You know, I looked at as a mentor that is in the whole radio world and the podcasting realm, and and he was like, "Well, I would keep them in the same feed." You know, like you don't want to break these out. You know, people who have, have people trust you. People trust what your taste is, or people trust what you're doing. You've had years of establishing goodwill and I just followed it because I didn't know what to do in that particular situation. And ultimately that was driven in some, in some ways by, all right, I have all of these other great ideas. Sure. I could do this, but I have all of these other great ideas that I want to explore because continually curious. So I'll ask you when you're kind of stuck in like a spot where 
you're not sure because it doesn't seem like you have a problem with ideas. It seems like you, 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 well, I guess I'll ask, you don't have a, it doesn't seem like you have a problem with ideas, but do you run into a, a point where you're like, all right, I don't know which idea to go with or which idea and how to go about it. And if so, is there a person that you go to or, or how do you go about getting past that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, to answer the question, yes, all the time. Um, I think, I mean, my brother is like my best friend and the person that I talk to the most about creativity. And, and it's weird because I think other creative people in our lives kind of, in a way I sense, or, or it's been said to me, like they kind of reach out to us because we are always just kind of brimming with creativity. They'll kind of hit us up to like run things by us. And and it's, it's, it's kind of ironic because I always exhaust myself with the same questions they're asking me. And so like I go to my brother a lot and we just kind of bounce things off each other. And ultimately it does come down to you. You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's been plenty of frustrated conversations I've had with him, um, with Nick, where like I don't feel any better, if not worse, coming out of our conversation because, you know, we've got like a little bit of a competitive spirit. <laughs> we're brothers, you know, yeah, he's, brothers. My old, he's my older brother. And so he'll kind of like, little bromy in certain ways. And, um, <laughs> so it's not like those conversations necessarily help, but it is helpful to kind of externalize what I'm already like dealing with inside or like, you know, kind of ruminating on, mm-hmm. but ultimately it comes down to yourself. And for me kind of taking the next step forward, it's kind of really pragmatic. It's like, well, what can I get away with? You know, like what, what do I have the resources to do? Some of my ideas are just like so like extensive. Like I said, that it's just not possible at this time in my life, whether from like, you know, it would take X amount of additional capital to make happen, or I need a bigger space to do it in or blah, blah, blah. And again, that, then that comes back to like, you know, can I take a hit if I try to do this giant sculpture, for example, I know I'm going to fail at that over and over and over, but that's an expensive mm-hmm. fail over yes. and over and over, you know? And so I'm kind of pragmatic. And I think, I think at the end of the day, like the best thing that I've found to try to process those moments is just a little bit of time. You know, it's hard, mm-hmm. especially for me, I'm, I'm super like impulsive or maybe that's not the best word. I just really want to get things going and like, I just jump on things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so like for me taking a beat and like sleeping on it or something might give me like a little bit more clarity or like an idea as to how do I maybe just dip my toe in a little bit and see if that's like the right move. But again, like, I, and I have like even a drawing that says this, it's like, I have a way of getting in my own way, you know, and, and I think a lot of creatives do, but the, the one tactic I found is like having a little time and, and mm. zooming out, you know, like seeing things from a different perspective and, I've been saying that a lot lately is like zoom out. Yeah. And and I think, you know, and I'm hearing similarities there. Like I think uh, big picture, it's, you know, it's kind of like, all right, I'm going to the next thing. And one of the things that I encounter in doing this and doing these series, I try to think of doing like evergreen content. I try to think of doing timely content that makes sense. So, you know, if I'm going to interview a bunch of people in a span of, let's say, three months, right, and I might talk to four or five different people who are filmmakers, I'm going to try to put those together, you know, and, and, and do the and do it well, 
but put it together on kind of like mm-hmm. my timeline because I want to move to the next thing. It's like, this is important, but I want to move it to now post-production and maybe start looking at these photographers or looking at, oh, I should do a series in Boston or what have you. And it's not a matter of being focused and unfocused or anything along those lines, at least in my mind. It's more of a, I, I have so many ideas and this, this kind of indication of I have limited time, limited resources, and I don't know how long I'm going to be able to operate off of this degree of um, inspiration, this degree of like strong work ethic. So let me ride that wave. And that's the thing that I've been saying a lot, you know, in the last year, I'm just going to ride the wave. And when it comes down, then we'll see what happens. But, you know, riding this wave and it's not, it's not uh, swept me in the wrong direction yet. Yeah. I I also have this fear of, you know, because people say like, yeah, you've got all these ideas, you know, like I, I've made a career off of that in ways. <laughs> and, um, you know, ideas are priceless. You know, I, I think like anybody can be trained to do a, a role, right? Like a task, yeah. even be a pilot. You know what I mean? People can't be trained to have ideas um, or like be original in some way. But I always kind of have this fear of like, what's the fine line between like being an ideator like an ideas man, so to speak. And then being like an ideas man and kind of like a con, not like a condescending, but not the most positive way. Cause you know, like sometimes an ideas man can just kind of be, um, yeah, like someone who has like ideas, but they don't come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And that's like a dangerous line to walk because on one hand it's like, you've got the idea, but you also don't want to be the person that's like, damn, I wish I like invented, you know, the lawn flamingo or something like, you know what I mean? Like I could have thought about that. It's like, yeah, you could have thought about that. Maybe you did think about it, but you didn't put it into action. And yeah. so like, that's what I find now. Cause you know, a, a dad of two little boys and just like so much going on, like career wise and art, art career wise and stuff. Like it's, it's hard to find time. And that's what I was thinking about. Like having ideas, but like fleeting time, um, mm-hmm. not like in an existential way per se, but just like, yeah, time goes fast. And how do you take those ideas and put them like, and also like respect what you've already done. Like I've had crazy ideas and I've had people I really trust be like, but why? Like you've got a good thing going on with, with what you're known for in art, never mind mm-hmm. like career stuff. And it's like, why try to like strike, you know, why try to like, go for it like big again you know like do you think you could start another project and get tens of thousands of followers and stuff like that and it's like well that's not necessarily the gauge first of all Mm -hmm. it's about like my personal happiness but there is something to be said about that it's like yeah like at what point is it i don't know like at what point does it kind of just get like not greedy but um I don't know. Like when I was growing up, I was really like, I was really fascinated by like the old days where like somebody, and I'm not even going to name a historical figure at this <laughs> point. Cause like, you know, like you always go back and you're like, well, that guy was actually kind of an asshole. Or like, whatever, you know? But <laughs> think of like some of these like classic figures in like American history, for example, yeah. like they were, they were politicians and inventors and doctors and lawyers. And like they had like, they were so, um, what's that word that people always, it's like a buzzword now. Um, that like polymaths. Yeah. Well, that's like a, um, uh, that's a good word for it. Well, what was that more buzzword? Um, 
people call each other like, oh, a multi-hyphen, right? It's oh, like, God. Yeah. But yeah, you have a, right, you have like a more accurate description. It's like, you know, these guys did everything mm-hmm. and, and women, um, I should say, but they did so much. And I always grew up looking at that be like, damn, that's, my brother always says this about me. He's like, dude, you're into everything. Like mm-hmm. you do everything. Like I can go to you for everything. You know something about like all these things or you do all these things. And it was always kind of like a joke in my family. Like, Oh, Matt's now doing this or like whatever. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I don't even know any other way to be like, I, yes, I want to, make music but i also want to shoot photography because i was so diy you know i'm 39 we're from the same generation it was like that cusp before the internet like took over existence completely and it was um you know like if you were in your room making beats or like making an ep or something my thing was about like total empowerment like i want to i want to i want to produce the thing and then i want to rap over it and then i want to shoot or design the cover of the cd that i'm going to burn myself hundreds of them and hand out myself so i'm doing my own marketing you know what i mean like everything and was i'm gonna totally promote DIY. the party that i'm doing as well with it you know what i'm saying <laughs> so like everything was like totally diy and i have that spirit in me of like well i'm not gonna rely on anybody i want to do it all i want to know how to shoot and i want to know how to do video i want to know how to write the copy i want to know how to design the thing like you know like i uh, yeah it's just a mentality um that's yeah. That's that's a thing that I think is important. It's almost a version of like quality control. And I, I got a few questions about Bodega be, before yeah. um, before we wrap, but it's it's like a, a conversation around like quality control where if it's it's a unified vision. I think when you're touching each part of it, and oh, the yeah. way that the way that I started looking at it because my background is in business and marketing before really kind of diving back into art, and I do analytics. That's what my day job is, and. Mm. You know, and looking at it, I'm like, all right, strategically thinking, how does one do this? And, you know, I always joke, I'm always able to get out gold or maybe rose gold, maybe false gold. I don't know. Fool's gold. Who knows? (laughs) Um, I'm able to get out good content with almost no budget. Right. And because I'm doing all these different things and it's not a necessity. So, you know, people will say, wow, how are you doing all of this? I'm like, well, you should see me with a budget. And part of that is, I think, in doing all of it. You're able to carrying over that kind of DIY. I mean, touching every piece of it. You're able to ensure quality control when you're able to work with collaborators. When you're able to bring someone in or even collaborate with somebody in a, um, in, a, in, a in a sort of different sense and like a partnership and, and things of that sort. And that's kind of the stage I'm at now when I'm able to hire someone and bring someone in to help with some of the more um, administrative work that frees me up that, you know, I can do interviews like this and don't have to worry about, oh, I need to hurry up and edit or I need to hurry up and schedule a bunch of posts to go out and so on. Yeah. I think you can't really, you can teach some of those things, but you got to have the right person. But I think you got to understand what you're doing first, understand why yeah. you're doing it and be emboldened in that. And that just takes, that comes from, you know, that natural kind of, you described doing all of these things and having yeah. that DIY approach. And it's hard. It's hard to let go of control. You know, I, I, um, like with work, for example, like my old job, which is also in like the, you know, quote unquote streetwear um, <laughs> industry is like, I managed a lot of people as a director there. And I just like, I was always doing stuff in the weeds. Cause like, I just didn't, I didn't know how to let go of control at certain points. Cause like, I, I don't know, like it, it's a lot of trust, you know what I mean? And like, 
getting people to understand the vision or like, you know, um, it's like a baton race. Like when you're relying on other people, you're waiting on somebody to pass that baton and they got to be up to speed and like, you know, they got to, they got to run it well. And like, but if you're doing yourself, it's like, I, I can, I can monitor like <laughs> my health, the whole run, you know, mm-hmm. I can, I can like monitor everything. I'm in full control of the situation. And I, if I'm going to, if this is going to fail, it's going to be totally on me. And I kind of like, like that in some sort of like weird, like sadistic way or something. <laughs> like, I don't know what that is, but you know, and, and, and the same thing with like my current role is like, I got like, I got a lot less people like, un, like I have to manage directly. And my goal was like, I don't want to manage anybody. Like, I just want to like have my role and do that. Um, but it's, it works because, you know, the people I'm working with now, like a couple of them are from that same company and like, we already know the deal working together. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. we kind of cut, like cut from the same cloth in terms of like work ethic and stuff. So, um, or like get it done. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I guess that's a transition from like the creative stuff and DIY and having control or like that vision and control over your vision to like, work stuff um you know which obviously you're, you're aware of like what i do um yeah so let, let's let's talk about it a bit what is it about that role working within that that brand at bodega that really resonated with you like initially and what continues to kind of keep you interested and engaged and excited mm, that's a good question i um so like you know our generation like grew up like my, my, my experience with what they at least used to call streetwear and like sneaker culture was like kind of that, like that, or the period of where it kind of originated from on like the East coast like mm-hmm. side of things. And that was very much rooted in like skateboarding and like hip hop and stuff. Um, and just kind of like counterculture. And I, I, I would just say counterculture cause like you could have been punk and like totally into original streetwear and stuff like that. I mean, Sean Stussy, essentially started the entire thing and yada yada but um you know so like when we skateboarded and did all those things as kids growing up um like small brands started popping up because there were just alternatives to like wearing j crew with a gap or something like that you know like just what normal people wore because that wouldn't look cool on a skateboard so you had mm-hmm. basically a lot of skate companies and then just random independent brands popping up that were just street wear, you know, like mm-hmm. just things to wear that if you're just like into cool shit. And that's like my take on where this all came from. It's like, it was just an alternative clothing for people to wear as a uniform to what they were doing. It was no like, yo, check out my fit. No one, <laughs> like if you said that stuff back then, like, yo, check out my outfit, people are like, what's wrong with you? Like, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Like there was nothing, no one ever thought of the word fashion or anything. And like, in retrospect, you can see style. And I really separate style and fashion. That's to me, they're two totally different, you know, takes. Um, and you know, so like, this is like pre hyper consumerism mm-hmm. of streetwear. This was just about like, I'm a DJ, I'm a B boy, I write graph, I skateboard, I do these things. And this is just like the stuff I wear because I'm not going to wear those like dork chinos. Right. (laughs) Um, And so like, 
that's how I grew up. And I didn't know anything else. I never would have thought there would be like a big industry one day where you could work in and make money and have, and you know, have a house and cars and stuff off of that stuff. Like working within this, unless you own like one of the brands and it got big, like, you know, so it's always been kind of fascinating to me. So like my first exposure in a professional sense, when I came back from Brooklyn, um, I was working for a com and I knew like the owner of, uh, Karma Loop, which was like one of the first big streetwear e-coms. It was also a brick and mortar, but it kind of really blew up as an e-com before. Like there really was many e-com marketplaces, especially for streetwear. Mm-hmm. And I knew like the owner from just the scene in Boston and stuff and got a job over there in marketing. Um, and then rose up to uh, director of marketing. Um, and Bodega, um, they were like, you know, they opened in 2006. And we all knew each Like Oliver, one of the owners, we came up in the same scene. It was all like music and art and stuff like that. Um, so he was around and was part of our, an extended part of our like art collective, which was called Project SF. And, um, Jay, one of the other owners, he was just this like very cool guy around Boston and he owned some other smaller, you know, small businesses and just a really like great guy and supportive of the scene and involved in other ways. And then, um, the other owner, Dan, was just super connected through art and stuff like that. Um, so we all knew each other like naturally. And so I was at Carmen Loop for years and I remember talking with Oliver about like they wanted to grow bodega, like e-com, you know, they had done such an incredible job with like the brick and mortar and their whole like model of hidden in plain sight. Mm-hmm. I was like, how do we grow the brand bigger? Like how do we get that feeling and like the stories we're trying to tell and blah, blah, blah to a global audience. Mm-hmm. So at my like end of my tenure at, um, Karma Loop, um, I just joined them over there, which was awesome because that was just kind of like Carmel was super stressed out. It was super stressy and like it just got really sour after its heyday. And um, so coming to Bodega was like, okay, now I'm like, I didn't want to say like twilight years. Like I'm a young, like, you know, I'm still young, <laughs> but like it, it felt like, uh, okay, now I can take a breather and like, let me look at this thing from like a holistic 360 you know, view, like what do they got going on here? Cause I've always just been friends of the company yeah. from day one. I remember like when they were putting the floors in of the original store and it was like, okay, now I'm like inside and like, what have they been up to? And I was just like super impressed. The team has always been like super talented from day one. Everybody, like even if we were on day one, when it was like just one shop in Boston and like no e-com and everybody that worked there was like special in some way. It was like an artist, was a graffiti writer, was, doing photography. Um, so to come back over there was like, all right, cool. Like now I can focus less on like business for business sake and more like, well, how do we just harness what we've already always been up to Mm -hmm. and like also tell cool product stories and get stuff out there, um, for people to like buy, but also like, how can we flip that narrative a little bit to like try to give people a vibe as to like, why they shouldn't care about what they're buying, you know, and what it all means. Cause I'm really big on that. And I know it's kind of an old head thing to be like, yo, if you're going to wear Supreme, you should know like where it started from, who was involved with it, why it got big, you know, like what happened when it went from like New York to Asia and back again, you know, like 
what were the phases that made these things like big and pop? Um, and it's not to like talk down to anybody or anything like that at all. It's like, I just get so excited about things where it's like, I want them to know like what I learned over the years because I saw it all as like a reference point. Like, okay, now I know these things. How do we build on top of this in like a respectful way? Like how do you pay respect to the past, acknowledge those who like paved the way yeah. and then like build on that and like hopefully make that seem like something that's, that feels like good holistically and not just like hyper consumerism. Cause like if you said to me like 15 years ago, 20 years, like 20 years ago, like someday people are going to line up for sneakers and like fight each other for them. And there's going to be raffles and this and that. But that's crazy. That's crazy. You could walk into like any, you know, place like downtown Manhattan and pick up some dunk lows or whatever you want. You know, like it just wasn't a thing. It was like what we, war and it was about being like resourceful to find cool things like the whole like army surplus and all that stuff that was from army navy stores now you have companies selling essentially army pants for like 500 plus dollars you know right if you knew what you were getting into you'd be like well that's just army surplus and like yes they've done this and this to them and obviously like a lot more tailored and blah 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 but if you're resourceful you could also just get some army pants from the surplus store and like have them taken in and altered or like teach yourself like i don't know sewing and like add on your own stuff like that's just how it was back then it was about like being resourceful and that wasn't just like a street where hip like hip-hop thing at all that was that was really like there's a lot of punk ethos in that there's a lot of like just straight up counterculture that that spans like so many genres of style and like music and culture so that's not like something that's exclusive to streetwear in any sense you know like that's just that's just fashion but but rooted in like a counterculture like that goes back to hippies and before you know it's like they just want to take what was like the zeitgeist and like switch it up and like create a new wave um and i feel in a way like we're kind of losing that as a culture because I guess because of accessibility, you know, like everybody's just exposed to too much, but what they're exposed to isn't what we were exposed to, which came to us naturally or through like kids in the neighborhood or mentors or things that we researched. Now what's coming to people is what the algorithm Mm -hmm. thinks that they want to see. So like, it's almost like nobody has free will anymore. It's like, unless you're total Luddite, like unless you're not on social media, you don't really like use the internet, everything that you see on the internet. And I know because I'm a digital marketer, it's like... (laughs) you're being fed what it thinks all the ads that you see online. They're not Mm -hmm. there by coincidence, obviously. And I love when like old people are like, these ads are following me. I was just talking about like, (laughs) you know, a new pillow. And now I'm seeing pillow ads everywhere. It's like, yes, because one of your many devices picked it up and now, or you looked at a site and now you're being retargeted to. So like nothing about the reality of online and social media. And I think that's such an important message for kids, Mm -hmm. especially like in a creative sense, like artists is like, everybody's hanging their hat on like Instagram and like how many likes and how many followers and this and that, but none of it's real. And it's getting increasingly less real because they keep changing the game. And Mm -hmm. it's not like, Hey, I like Rob's podcast. I can't wait to, it's like the only way I'm naturally exposed to the podcast is if I'm already listening to these types of podcasts and Mm. it suggests it to me or in a less rare way, I mean, in a more rare way, it would be as if a friend was really into it and told me. But or again, we're all subject to these these like mental games. So it's yeah. harder for even my friends to come across things organically. 
And that's, um, that's the thing that, that really kind of gets me where, you know, having that background and, you know, not in really doing a lot of digital marketing, I was more marketing anal- analytics mm-hmm. and it was just like, oh yeah, we're just going to hire a bunch of people with like psych degrees and things of that nature because we're really focused on consumer behavior. We're really focused on this sort of persona research and we're, we're going back to like 2007, 2008 and, you know, for like a big telecom company and, you know, that's what they were doing a better, like position, um, let's say content. And this is kind of, we're seeing that now more and more that if I want to watch an episode of Miami vice, I can't find it anywhere. I, I and it's like, they know I want it, but they're going to tell me I want something else. You know, mm. the, whether it be when I log into Paramount plus, when I log into HBO max, the thing that I'm actually looking for, I have a harder time finding it. The thing that I just watched, I have a harder time finding it. The things that they want to push forward, Exactly. Right there. Exactly. And so when they want to push forward like videos on Instagram, mm-hmm. they're going to throttle static images. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like that makes it harder for the majority of artists because I'm not a video artist. I'm not going to change everything to be like a video dude. Like I'm not going to learn something because I want to keep up with technology that is not serving me. It is not serving anybody that has like a cultural bone in their body because it is 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 like you know it's a computer it's a system mm-hmm. and the people behind it are corporations that's the other thing and like i i know we're like wild on at this point but <laughs> i love it i love it but like i want to say something like about like um there's something else wrong with this generation in terms of like glorifying billionaires you know oh there's God. nothing yeah. cool about there's nothing cool about elon musk the dude pedals and eugenics conspiracies um, he has like blatant disregard for people of all walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's just like not a good dude in my opinion. And, um, you know, I'll give him the credit that of course he's, he's great at business. He's, he's proven that he's proven sure. he's great at business, but that doesn't, that shouldn't define people in 2022. Like, Oh, you made a great business. Like, okay. Yeah. Jeff Bezos made a incredible business, crushed all these other small businesses and yeah. put a lot of people out of a livelihood. Um, is that something to admire? Is it something to admire that this dorky old guy um, has all this money and he's not doing any good in the world to to help other people who are less fortunate, especially at the hands of companies like them? The only, um, the only good that really came out of that for, for Bezos, for instance, is his wife getting divorced and just saying, you know what, I'm going to do the things that you're not doing. Right, right. But you know what I'm saying? Like, when I was a kid, like if you were a rich person, like you used to see like graffiti in the streets. It's like eat the rich and stuff like that. Smash the system. Right. Like, I don't know when this like glorification of like capitalists became a thing. It's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like we're talking about very rich people that go to extreme lengths to ensure that you don't get a leg up. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, you should boycott all that stuff. And, and, and like, I like to take that mentality to me with work is like, no matter what, like we're just like street level and we're going to just tell stories pertaining to the product that we carry and the things that we're into. That's why like when we do an editorial or something, we're not necessarily just like using a budget to get a big name to like wear the clothes and, you know, shoot that. Like yeah. we work with like people in our community, artists that we like and know and hang out at the offices. Like, um, you know what I mean? It's like a big part of the ethos. It's just like, well, no, we're like community rooted. And, you know, I have like kids hit me up about things um, or people, I should say. And like, sometimes I get so excited about things that like, I'll just hit them off with like, 
you know, like a pair of shoes before they come out when they should probably like buy, like, you know, in a business sense, be going to like some big influencers or celebrity or something. It's like, no, nah, man, I want to get at the people who are like genuinely excited about product and like ride. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think that's like, kind of like what separates us is like, we're staying on that level. You know what I mean? And, and even if it got like, it's one of the things I do like about Supreme. It's like, you know, there's a lot of controversy there. Like, you know, they're owned by the Carlisle group and blah, blah, blah. And, but at least from a creative standpoint, like they still utilize the same team of people for like design and video and everything. And some of those people I know, and that's cool because they're putting on young kids, you know what I mean? And like, I don't know, it's important to like use whatever platform you have to keep it rooted in like whatever this thing was originating from, you know, because otherwise you just turn into like a box brand or like another brand owned by a corporation or a board, you know? Yeah. Um, and and I'll, I'll and I guess that's pretty much all we're going to have for for that piece. But I at least want to throw these two observations in there, which I think align with what you're saying. Before I get to these rapid fire questions, I got for you. Mm. So, yeah, that that last point that you made really resonates with me because that is the sheer thing that Netflix did and the sheer thing that Instagram did. Instagram was a photo sharing site and now it's focused on video as you touched on. And Netflix, you right. know, you could buy the package that you don't have to worry about commercials and so on instead of being able, basically the way that Netflix was presented to, to me in early adopter was, oh, you can kind of get whatever you want. You can get DVDs, you can do this, you can do that. And now they right. turn into a content provider. And I, I don't spend a lot of time on Netflix and they've worked ads and they found ways to kind of make ads a thing, even though I'm not paying for the ad, you know, I'm paying right. for the no ads account. So it's, it's interesting when a brand kind of switches what it got on and what it kind of got that goodwill from and we'll use whatever, you know, we'll say the pandemic, whatever to basically try to get more money. It's a cash grab. And that's just, and that's what it is. It's just, it's no mystery as to like how it happens. It's not like, I don't know, maybe they got some new leadership and things just kind of change or there's some confusion. It's like, no, at some point someone decided like, Hey, this will bring us a bunch of revenue. Right. And what they're banking on is that they're smarter than you. And that's the saddest part is like when these things are successful, that means that enough people, fell for the trick enough people didn't question it and i mean not to go off course but like it's exactly how politics works it's like can you get enough people to believe a bad idea or enough people to not care and kind of force through a bad idea Mm -hmm. and we're also been seeing that for many (laughs) years now so it's it's interesting yes and I think I think that's where we'll we'll wrap on on the real questions. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think there's a lot in there. I think there's a lot in there that <laughs> we were able to to go through. And and I think it's interesting where not only are you getting like the perspective about the the the, the way you go about your work and all of that, but what you get what's baked under it. What's the thinking mm-hmm. that goes into it? And I think that that's very valuable. So so thank you. Um, and with that, I want to dive into three quick rapid fire questions in the last few minutes we have here. Um, so I'm very interested in what creative people eat. So what is a lazy night meal for you? You've had like a long day. You got the two, you get the two kids. Um, mm. you know, what is like, all right, I'm going to make something to eat. What is that lazy night meal for you? Is it, it does have to be made. You can make it, whatever it is. Because I've heard some people say, yo, I just do ramen. I just heat up the water. Oh, yeah. I, all right. I'll go, I'll go made because, like, obviously, takeouts is too easy. Um, if I was going to get takeout, my favorite thing to eat is a burrito, chicken nice. burrito, all types of different 
toppings or fillings, I would switch it up. But if I was going to make something on a lazy night, um, my wife put me onto this. We make homemade pizzas, um, but lazy style would be um, you actually get like those uh, non flats, which is <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. you know non bread, um, but you can get like flats and they come in two different sizes, like small. I like to get the bigger ones, and yeah. I mean, you just hit that with some with some um, pasta sauce and mozzarella and some basil or oregano, you know, and toast it. Like, just put it right <laughs> in the toaster or the oven, and just uh, yeah, it's really like I've been saying lately. Like, I actually like it more than like pizza from the shops because something about the naan. It's like especially if you like the garlic naan. Oh my god, yes, it's nice. It's a, <laughs> I, it's I a love really garlic easy meal. And like when you're a parent with two like little kids, three and five, it's like. All right, that's easy. Just real quick. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, let's see. This this is this is the last one I got for you because I always like to throw out you know something that's resonant to the uh, you know one one of the things that a person does. So, and this is this might be hard. If you could only wear one pair of sneakers for the rest of your easy. life, easy. All right, done. All right, go ahead. Tell me. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be dunk lows. Any particular color? Get, get describe them. Uh, I have like so many colors. I mean, I guess I would say. <laughs> I, ju- I mean, I was just. I just did a thing for like in hypebeast for that. Like I chose that as my shoe model to talk about. And um, I've seen I that. I've seen that. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to think. Like I'm wearing some now, but they're not normally. Co- they're like the new uh, like gray gray. I don't even know what they call them. I just go by like what they look like. Okay. I guess like all time like pandas although they're having like a big moment right now and they've kind of been like appropriated by all types of people who aren't even into sneakers per se um <laughs> but yeah yeah just a dunk low and i like like if i had my way like something with more earth tones but um i would just say like pandas if i needed to okay that's legit and that just goes back to my roots of streetwear i mean that just goes back to skateboarding yeah, I mean that's. I, I mean, I pulled it up because sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I know these shoes. I've seen everybody wearing these, and they oh, yeah. look like pandas. So there you go. Yeah. yeah um, so with that, uh, I want to thank you for for coming onto this podcast and, and spending a yarn with me and indulging me. And um, in in the in the last moments here, I want to open up the floor to you to you know kind of tell the fine folks where to check you out, check out any of the work that you've done, and um, yeah, the floor is yours. So share away. Uh, man, I uh, appreciate you having me on. Um, uh, people can check out my art on um, Instagram at Matthew Zaremba. Um, I'm sure I'll be included in the, the credits for the episode uh, or MatthewZaremba.com. Um, and uh, be sure to check out Bodega, BDGAstore.com. So there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Matthew Zaremba for coming on to the podcast. And uh, yeah, there's art and um, like it's, it's community. It's a community bent there in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. Music.